If you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. So what we're going to be doing today is uh, we're going to be reading different portions of this scripture as we come to them in the sermon. But uh, this, this past Wednesday, we actually concluded the series we've been looking at. We were looking at uh, the celebration of the Incarnation. We looked at each of the different themes of Advent each week. Uh, and then we celebrated on Wednesday night the God incarnate, as we ce- God incarnate as we celebrated the birth of Christ. And we're going to be transitioning uh, to this new year looking at a series, looking at some of the vision of where we are hoping to go as a church, some of the plans uh, that we're looking at and working toward to, to reach our community, to reach people, and to be who God calls us to be, some, some vision-type planning things. But before we get into that sermon, which will start, or that series, which will start next week, I was preparing and looking at what we would talk about. It's kind of a, a transitional Sunday. If you didn't know, this was always the Sunday that I previously got to preach, because this is called National Youth Pastor Preaching Sunday, um, because most often pastors will take off the Sunday following Christmas, so they can, because a lot of them have to travel uh, and, and be far away. So it's, it's always a transitional time because it's a little too early to get started on things that we're planning for the new year. It's after Christmas technically even though I know many of you uh, myself included will be celebrating some Christmas uh, with family still in the coming day or two. But we're looking at Daniel chapter 3 because this is kind of a transitional time for the people of Israel. We, We looked actually last Sunday at Nehemiah And that was when they were going back from the Babylonian exile. That's when they began to rebuild. And we'll be looking most likely at some things that happened in Nehemiah, some of the things that they did as we look at our vision and what it means to become the people and to follow God most faithfully. But as we're preparing for that, preparing our hearts for that, we have to look at the reality that we live in a time and we live in a place where things are not honoring to God always, where things are not always as they would be. And as people who are seeking to follow God, we have to navigate what it looks like to live in that. We have to look at what it looks like to live and follow God while we are, are facing difficulty. So in Daniel chapter 3, we see a very familiar story that no doubt many of you knew, but we'll begin reading with the first seven verses as we start. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, and advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. 
Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we have to gather together to look at your word, to look at what it says to our lives. And God, I pray that you would be with us. You would help us to see clearly what your word says to us and allow it to challenge us to be changed by it, to change our lives, to change our hearts, to be people who are more closely and more committed to following you. God, I pray that you'd be with us. Prepare us for what you have for us. Prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at Daniel chapter 3, it's actually following uh, the the first sermon I ever preached here was Daniel chapter 1, where they are being trained, Daniel included with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being trained to serve the king, and they refuse to eat the king's food, and they're faithful. I think it's important to remember this context. It wasn't just Daniel who was faithful in not eating the king's food. He kind of was the spokesperson, and he kind of is the main character of the book. If it, well, actually, God would be the main character, but one of the main focuses of the book is on the events in the life of Daniel. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there, and they were faithful in Daniel chapter 1. They also refused to eat the king's food. As we're looking at the context of this passage in Daniel chapter 2, we see that the king had a dream. He had a dream of something that he was concerned by, and he goes to all of the wise men and the magicians and the mediums, all the people of the kingdom. He gathers them together, and he wants them to explain this dream to him. Now, there's one problem for these people that came. They said, well, well, king, tell us this dream so we can interpret it for you. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. That would be too easy. If I told you what the dream was, then you might just make something up. You have to tell me what my dream was and what it meant. And so none of them, they're like, this is impossible. You can't ask us to tell you what this dream means. And so he's going to kill all of the wise men, all of the, the sages, all the magicians that are in his kingdom. But when it comes to Daniel, he's like, hey, what's going on? Daniel prays to God and God reveals this dream and what has been told to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he explains his dream to him, gives him the, the result. And this dream was about a great statue. And he says to Daniel, hey, your God is, is definitely God of gods and Lord of kings. And then immediately following that, we see this. King Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue, a great statue. It's a little unclear to me whether it's the same statue, because this one is all of gold. The one that was in the dream had gold, silver, bronze. But he builds a great statue. And anyone that will not worship it is cast, is going to be cast into the fire. So we find the king coming after seeing the greatness of God to building a statue that is an offense to God and calling all people to worship the statue. When we look at the world around us, when we look at things like this, there's a temptation to do nothing, to just give in to what is going on, to live a life that is simple. There's the saying that you've probably often heard that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. 
There's a problem of going along with whatever to get along, going along to get along. But what is the issue at stake here? What is the issue that the people of Israel, the Jewish people that are being commanded to worship the statue, what is their issue? Let's look at Exodus 21 through 6. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. Do not have any, have any other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters under the sea. Do not bow and worship to them. Do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands." See, this is the primary issue for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The very first commandment in the Ten Commandments, have no other gods besides me. Do not worship them. Do not serve them. And so when Nebuchadnezzar comes and he places this great statue and says, when you hear music, fall down and worship. This is a crisis major turning point for these people. The primary major command do not have any other gods. Don't worship them. Don't serve them. So they can't. They can't serve this God, which we'll see as we get further in the passage. But this is a problem of idolatry. This is why the people of Israel are in exile in the first place. Because their fathers before them, their ancestors, turned away and followed false gods. They were unfaithful. They broke the commandments of God. They gave themselves, devoted themselves to other things apart from God. And so they find themselves in exile, in punishment because of the sins of their ancestors and themselves as well. It's a problem of idolatry. Now, when we look at the, the, the Bible, when we look at this idea of idolatry, it's something that seems so foreign to us. I remember being in middle school and we learned about world history and I remember hearing about the pantheon of Rome and these ancient Greek gods, and I was like, how silly is that? That these people would, would worship these very imperfect semi-demigods and people that would come to earth and do all sorts of evil, warring things against each other, and they thought that was real? And, and so this idea of ancient idolatry seems foreign and, and silly to us. Now, these weren't the Roman gods, but these were other gods that they would, they would place up and erect as things that they would worship based upon whatever they saw as being beneficial, whatever they saw as being good. There are still things like this that do exist today. As foreign as it might sound, people do still worship the Pantheon. Of Rome, There are still people that hold to that religion. There are other religions in the world that have a, a plethora of gods. Part of one of my world religion classes was going to a, a, a temple, a Hindu temple, and seeing these people bringing and offering food and, and walking in certain ways and praying to these gods, asking them, and praying to specifically to specific gods for whatever their need might be. So there still are false gods that are gods that are in place that people worship. But in the 21st century, I believe that idolatry is much 
harder for us to spot than we might like to think. When we look at Exodus, we look at that passage, it says, Do not make graven images, do not create idols, do not have any other gods before me or beside me, do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. If we look at all of that as a total commandment, I think there are many things that are not quote-unquote gods that we worship today. There are many things that are placed up and held in high regard in our lives and in, in the world that may not be claimed to be gods or may not be things that we would look at as gods, but we sure treat them like they are. I want you to think about that in your life. Think about the world that's around you. What things do people worship and serve? What things do people devote their time to? What things do they devote their life to? Because there's only one thing that should deserve that, and that is God. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean you have no place in society. These men were people who led in Babylon. They were leaders. They had a part in the government. They were playing a role in life. They had tasks that they had to fulfill. They had things, duties that they had to fulfill and make sure happened. But they knew that those things were a part of how they worshipped God and served God. And when it came time to face something that was an affront to their God, when something directly claimed that spot, they would be challenged with what they would do. Because when we follow Christ, there is temptation. There is temptation to not follow Him, to not give Him the time, to give Him the honor that we deserve, that He deserves. We think of ourselves, we think of these other things that can infiltrate our lives. It's not hard to see, it's not hard to look around and, and, and to notice what things in your life would you struggle with if they were no longer there? What possessions do you have? What things do you have that if they were gone, you would struggle with? I want, I want to put one thing out there for you. We may discuss a few, but one thing. Think about your cell phone. Your smartphone. How much time is devoted by many people to these things? How much do these things have an impact in our life? How much do we see them and use them and we would feel like our life was falling apart if we didn't have them? But how much havoc have they wreaked in people's lives? I want you to think for a second. I was, I was challenged this week as I was listening to someone talk about these devices. We're, many, most people in here were, have been able to remember a life that is far removed from having these devices. Were you happier then or now? Were you happier before you could see any thought, every thought people had? Or are you happier now that you can? Or you could say whatever you want and have everyone see it? Yet we feel conditioned that if we didn't have it, if you were to get rid of it or to, to delete your Facebook or to delete whatever it may, may be that you use, would that hurt? Would that be hard? You see, the challenge that we face is the things we have, are they honoring to God? How easy would it have been for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to, to bow down and pretend? Well, I'm not really worshiping it. I don't really mean that. 
How often do we make those excuses for the things that claim God's spot in our life? We need to make a, take a real look at our lives. What things do we consume? The media that we consume, the, the music we listen to, the things that we do in our lives. There are many things in this world that Christians should have no part of. And yet many Christians do. Well, I'm not, I'm not watching it for that part. And maybe there are ways to engage with certain things and, and cut out things, but we think about what Christ said in the book of Matthew. If your eye causes, it, causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternity maimed than to spend eternity in punishment whole. What things in our life are tempting you? What things in your life are tempting you to not follow God? To live a life that is less than wholly devoted to Him? Because everywhere you look, there are things seeking to pry you away, to, to pull you away. And it's not always going to be things like this. And we like to think that when it's the big moment, when it's the bow in worship or you're going to die, that we would stand firm. But if we think back to Daniel chapter 1, that's not what it was. It's eat this food. And I think what we have to be reminded of is that if we're not faithful in the small things, why would we consider ourselves as being sure that we can be faithful in the large things? I, I would make the assertion that many Christians in our nation have allowed the small things, the, the, the everyday life, to consume them that is devoted to anything and everything but God. And if we want to think about how and why we don't have revival or why we seem to struggle or why we seem to not have the, the, the favor of God or we, we seem not to see people come to know God, are we living for Him? Are we living our lives for Him? Or are we giving in daily to temptation? to do anything and everything other than follow God. Because there is temptation. There's also duality. People like to think that we're so advanced, we're so different than, than we used to be. We're so much more advanced than these people we read about who worship the statue. While we've already talked about we, so many people worship their phones and, and worship sports or, or their jobs or their family. You can worship anything and everything. But there was duality in the Old Testament because that's part of what I want you to understand is when he told them to worship this statue, he didn't say not to have any other gods. Okay? He, he said just worship the statue. It's all he asked. Seems pretty simple. Hey, just if you hear some music, bow down, worship. Everything else you do, I don't care. You can live your life. You can believe what you believe. You can have the gods of your people. You can worship them privately. I don't care. But right now... When this happens, that's all I need you to do. It's dualism. It's this, this idea that, that everything is true, everything's uh, allowed, everything's okay. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Does it sound a lot like today? People don't ask you not to believe in God. They don't ask you not to be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you sure ought to believe what they believe too. You sure ought to not condemn what they believe. And if you do... Well, man, you're awful. And that's a difficulty that we face. What will we do when we're faced with this difficulty? 
What will we do when we see something that Scripture clearly and truly says? It's not debatable, but the world, the people around us say something different. There's a temptation to give in. There's a temptation to bow down and worship. But we see what happens as we move on. Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 23. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These people have ignored you, the king. They, have, they, have not, they do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, who were, brought before, these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, why is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue, rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than customary, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. When we follow Christ, there are consequences. When you follow Christ, there are consequences. And we should not be surprised by such a reaction. Throughout the Bible, we see stories like this in the Old Testament. But in John 15, 18 through 19, he tells the disciples, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. But we see this is also not always a bad thing. In Romans 5, 3 through 4, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. So when we follow Christ, there are consequences. We will face difficulty. We will face trials. We will face temptations, or, or at least we should. 
Because if there are people that have elevated themselves and declared an authority and have held themselves in this high place like Nebuchadnezzar, we should face difficulty when we are confronted with the things that they tell us we should do. Scripture is clear that the world does not seek God. People do not seek God of their own accord. But those who have been redeemed, have been purchased by the blood of Christ, are empowered by His Spirit to live and to to obey Him and to follow Him. And as we live our life, there will be times like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had where we come face to face with difficulty. The king brings them in, and he probably thought it an act of mercy, gives them the opportunity to bow down and worship. And he says, well, who could save you from my power? What God could do that? It's so revealing of all of the issues of humanity. So much in in just that statement. The pride that Nebuchadnezzar has. What sort of God could save you from, from my power? How many people think that way? That God is so small that we think we have any influence in Him. Any influence in what he wants or what he does. That there's anything we could do to thwart his plan. Anything to do we could do that he couldn't undo. Nebuchadnezzar has this idea that he is above God. And so many people think they are above God. Above his punishment. Above his, his goodness. That they are all often more moral than he is. But not only does he reveal this pride that he has, he reveals just how ineffective and non-existent his own gods are. He supposes that he is so great that there are no gods that could save these people from him. He elevates himself above his own gods. Because he doesn't even believe the gods that he believes in could save them if they were to call on him. He thinks he is the ultimate authority. He thinks there is nothing beyond him or above him. And so he punishes these men because they stand firm. They know this is a place they cannot compromise. And they were faithful in the small things as we discussed, and so they are faithful in this moment when the time comes. And we hear stories of this all throughout history. We hear stories of the people at the Columbine shooting who were told to denounce Christ or to be shot. And they stood firm. And we think about those things and it's so disheartening and so saddening to hear. That is the most joyous thing they could have done. To stand firm in their faith. To receive the reward that is to be had for them. So when we encounter hate or oppression or difficulty or people who call us to do something we simply cannot do, how are we called to respond? Christians are called to be people who are gentle, peaceable, and kind, reflecting the Lord in all that we do. I want you to understand this and see this in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were people that had authority. They were people that had power. And when the king called them to do something... What did they not do? They didn't rebel. They didn't seek to overthrow because God had not called them to do that. And if we look through Scripture, 
The times when God's people take a military action, it is when God directly calls them to do so. We don't see prescriptions in Scripture that when someone comes against you in this certain way, that we retaliate in this certain way. Now, if you look in some of the Old Testament law and we see some, some civil law that the people had, that when certain laws were broken, God gave them punishments that the people of Israel as His people were to enact. That's not the world that we live in. That is not the system we live in. Christ did not call them to instigate those laws in a, in a different government. We see that Christians are called to be gentle, peaceable, and kind, reflecting the Lord in all that we do. And we see that, that we are called to submit to governing authorities to pray for them. But we are also called to be fiercely grounded when it comes to taking a stand for truth. We are to be fiercely grounded when it comes to taking a stand for truth. But what does this stand look like? Because I've heard many Christians in this time, in this day and age that we live in, say, well, I think it's almost time we need to take a stand. There's things that are, are, are very non-biblical that are happening in the world. I think that we, Christians need to stand up. What does it mean? What does that mean? What do they mean? When you hear that, what do you think it means? We see what the stand that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took. They stood firm in what they believed. They stood firm on the truth of who God was. But they took it no further. They didn't seek to, to kill and to destroy and to overthrow. But they stood firm even to the point of death. Because they knew that their reward was not bound in them doing things in this life. Their reward was in being faithful and following God faithfully. A determination to do what is right and a refusal to do that which is wrong. That is what it looks like to take a stand for Christ in this world. On everything that we do, which I think would look a lot more radical than people realize. To not associate with things that are, are wrong and to do wrong things. We should have the same mind of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That our God can save us, but even if He does not, we will not serve other gods. We will not abandon our faith and pursue things which are worthless. Matthew 10, 28 says, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. We are called to fear God and not men. Because when we are faced with temptation and we are faced with the consequences of taking a stand, there will be times where it hurts. There will be times where people don't want to be your friends. There will be times where, where things are difficult. And, and, and thankfully, that is right now in our country all that we face ostracization, difficulty, people not liking us. But there are places in this world right now, people maybe even right this moment who are hearing the gospel, and if they respond, they are walking away from their family and everything that they know. They are facing death if they, find, if they are found out to be Christians. 
And we look at the things that we struggle with, the temptations we face, and the stands that, that we need to take for Christ, and they're so simple and small. But if we want to see what God will do at New Bethel, if we want to see what God will do in our lives, this is what it takes. It takes making bold, firm declarations that this is my God, this is what He calls me to do, this is how He calls me to live my life, and I will not compromise. I will not give in to, to living just an ordinary life. An ordinary life that has sin and it is devoted to things other than God. Because we see what happens in Daniel 3, 24 through 30. We don't do this just out of principle. We do this because we know the God we serve. Daniel 3, 24 through 30. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He, he exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You servants of the most high God come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair on their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb, and his house will be made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. And the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. When we follow Christ, there is victory. When we follow Christ, there is victory. They were obedient. They faced consequences, but God was faithful. God was faithful, and there was victory from everything that they encountered. And the most notable thing about this story, the most notable thing about this passage, is what we see in the fire. They were bound up, thrown into the fire, three men. But we see four walking around unbound, walking around in the fire. And, and there is some question or some debate over who this fourth person in the fire was. Was it an angel sent by God? Or was this an Old Testament depiction of Jesus? This is what some people may have thought this might have been a, a Christophany or a Theophany, an appearance of God in the Old Testament. Whichever one it is, God was present. His power, His will was enacted when the mightiest person, argue, person arguably in the world at this time throws them into the fire, God saved these people. There is no doubt that God will be faithful and there will be victory. And, and like they said before this, even if He doesn't deliver us from the fire, He is still good. He is still faithful. There is 
And, and that is the truth for us today. We face many trials. We face many temptations. We face many difficulties. There is pain. There is sickness. There is hurt. There is death in this life. And God can and still does do miraculous, amazing things in this world. But sometimes we don't get the answer we pray for. Sometimes we don't get what we hope for. But God is still good. God is still good in these hard times. Because the victory that we are hoping for, the victory that we claim, is not in this life. It's so fleeting, so temporary. If what we were hoping for was a good life now, a good 80 to 100 years if we're really lucky, then we should be pursuing the things of this world. If that is what your hope is in, is in a comfortable, great life now, that will not be found in following Christ. God will bless you. God will give you the most joyous life that you can ever have. He will give you the actual best life. But if you want a lot of money, if you want a lot of things, you want a lot of possessions, you want to build the best empire you can have here, that is not what God promises. Though there are people that, that claim that and preach that, that if you follow God, He'll give you everything you've ever wanted, the reality is He will give you everything you've ever wanted, but you don't know what you want. If you think it's these material things, that's not what your soul craves. That's not what you were created for, to enjoy forever. Because with God, there is victory. The same God, we can't miss this, the same God that delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire is the same God we worship this morning, the same God we serve today. And so when we face our trials, when we face our temptations, our struggles, and people come against us, when things seem like they're beyond our ability... What are we concerned about? Our God can and do, can and will do anything. There is nothing too great for Him. There is no person with so much power that could come against you. There is no government that could come against you that your God could not deliver you from. And there is no sin, there is no difficulty that is too far for Him to forgive you from and redeem you from. And if we as believers will live into this truth in our lives, if we will live and know that our God saves, our God is the one true God, and we will follow Him faithfully, we see the result of that in this passage. When they were delivered from the fire, let's read it again. When they were delivered from the fire, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace and called Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God. He went from saying, there is no God who can save you, to saying, you are servants of the Most High God. If we will live our lives devoted to following Him, faithful, people will have no choice but to look at our lives and say, you are servants of the Most High God. And they come out of the fire. And he exclaimed, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And then he issue, issues a decree that they can't say anything offensive because he says there is no other god who is able to deliver like this. In Philippians 2, 9-11, we see, For this reason God highly exalted Him 
speaking of Jesus, giving and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. One day, every single person who's ever existed will bow. One day, every single tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And as we've mentioned in a previous sermon, when that happens, some will do it with joy at the realization of their hope. They will see their victory come and they will rejoice. They will bow gladly and and rejoice that Jesus Christ is the name above every name. And some will do it because there is no other option but to bow before this God. And they will be undone because of their sinfulness and their realization that they did not turn and follow God. And so when we follow Christ, when we seek to follow God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, when we seek to live this life for Him, a major part of that, our mission that we are entrusted with, our task is to share this good news, to be these people who proclaim the goodness of God, that He is the Most High God to all those that are around, to all those in the earth. Our job is to be faithful, to obey God, to be obedient to Him, not because we earn anything from it, but because He has loved us first, and we must give our lives to Him. And when we do that, We must also be faithful in sharing this good news with others so that like Nebuchadnezzar here, they will say, you serve the Most High God. And we must pray that they would turn and follow, that they would realize and be convicted of their sin and to turn and trust in Jesus, the only one who can deliver them from their sin. And if we will do that, if we will be faithful in that, I believe that God will be faithful. And it may not look exactly like we want it. It may not look like what you expect it to look like. It may not look like what I expect it to look like. It's easy to look back in our minds and to see the great, amazing things God has done. No doubt if you are a Christian here in this place, you can think through your life of following Christ and remember wonderful services you've been a part of, times where it felt like God's Spirit was in the place and there was revival and then there was people getting saved and, and you expect that maybe God will do that exact same thing again. Well, God will be faithful. But we have to be prepared that it may not look like it looked before. It may not be the exact same. But we pursue God faithfully. And I believe if we pursue Him, He will move. He will have people who look at our lives and say, You are servants of the Most High God. And people will come to know Christ because we are following Him faithfully. And so we we are coming to this time of, of invitation. As we come to this time, I want to challenge you. Are you faithfully serving? If you were placed in this position, how would you respond? Are you so confident in the God that you serve that you would be willing to go into the furnace because you knew He could deliver you? As you go through your life, are you willing to stand firm when you face hardships? 
Are you willing to stand firm in truth and to proclaim His goodness to the world around you? And if you don't know Him today, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you've been walking through this life and you think, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, you think that you're good enough, you have power in your own life to, to right your own course, and to, to, maybe you've been going off track, but you can, you can turn the ship around. You can go the right direction. You can earn your way into heaven. There is no way to be justified other than by what Jesus Christ has done for us. A free gift. Every person in this room who knows Christ is a sinner who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. There's not a single person that we will encounter in heaven that earned their way there. It's only by what Jesus has done for us. And so this morning, I would challenge you to make today the day you, you proclaim that He is the Most High God, that you want to repent of your sins and follow Him with your life. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for this time that You've given us to, to come to this place and to worship You and to, to follow You. Lord, I pray that You'll be with us and You will convict us of where we don't follow You faithfully. In the small things, in the large things, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that You would help us to follow You with our lives, to be obedient in everything that we do, even to the point of death, because we know that You are worth it, that, that following You is what You call us to do, to be obedient. And God, I pray that if we are obedient, people will see Your love in our life. They will see Your goodness, Your glory, Your majesty in the way we live our lives, and that they will turn to You Father, I pray that if anyone does not know You this morning in this room, that they would turn to You today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.